Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I am your host of the Living Better Story podcast. And today I'm with somebody who actually lives in the area kind of where I met my wife, which is Southern California. Uh, Greg Curtis is the director. uh, It's a director of assimilation, which is really on, uh, I would call it kind of onboarding, uh, but guest relations uh, at the church. It's Eastside Church, and they got the website eastside.com, which is pretty cool. Um, Multiple church locations. Greg's personal website or other website is gregcurtis-assimilation.com. And we're going to dig in deep uh, with Greg today and, and understand his calling in life. How did he get to where he is and, and just share some cool stuff with everybody. So Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be with you, man. Yeah. Um, Anaheim, Anaheim Hills. I mean, I remember those places. My, I met my wife in, in uh, Manhattan Beach. We moved to Irvine. Then we moved to Lake Forest. So all those golf courses around there, Tustin Ranch is where we had yep. our, both of our kids live there for a very short time when they were very little. And then we moved further south to Lake Forest. So great area. And that's my, my stopping grounds for sure. Wow. Uh, outstanding. Well, to help our audience connect with you, Greg, as a, as a person, I like to kind of go back and rewind the tape to, you know, early childhood. Are you from California originally? And what are some of your first memories when you were a kid? Well, I was, uh, uh, I'm a third generation Southern Californian on both my parents' side. Um, uh, my mom is a descendant of Italian immigrants. My, my dad's Dutch Irish and uh, I, I've, I'm so, so Cal that it's hard to, to picture myself anywhere else, but you go where God leads, right? But So you've um, got a surfboard in the garage and all that. I, you know what? I took some surf lessons, but I, I, I stayed with boogie boarding, body surfing. I go to the beach every Monday. That's where I am on my day off. I was just there yesterday. Oh, that's perfect. Love yeah. it. So when you grew up, what were some of the things like, what were you passionate about? You know, um, obviously you've landed in the church after one uh, long period of time with East side. Then I think you, you left, you came back. What, what, what do you think early in your days? What did you love to do as a Southern California kid? Well, you know, a lot of it surrounded my family, to be honest. Um, it's, it's that I had the kind of family and the kind of home. I was really blessed that everybody wanted to hang out in from the time I was a little kid on. Uh, our house was literally across the street from the elementary school that not only I grew up going to, but my 
my mother did, my aunt, my family. I had some of the same teachers my parents did Whoa. at this school and uh, had five generations of my family on that street. My great-great-grandmother died when I was in fifth grade. And so we were all on that street. Everybody else's family was on that street. It was like a you know, like one of those Italian neighborhoods that you would see in New York, except it was in LA. And, uh, but a lot of it was Latino and just a real mixture. It was a wonderful place to grow up. But I, I, my family was such an open-hearted family that even when we moved to Orange County, our home was the home to, to stay in. Our home, uh, I, I think at my church to this day, if you had people stand up, if you've ever lived, uh, had, a, had a rough patch and lived at the Curtis house, you would have people in every single service, many uh, that have stayed there. And so when I was like a little kid, I would visualize myself having a talk show where I would be introducing people, both famous and friends to my family. And they would be in the talk show too. I would picture that, isn't that crazy? And so the wild thing is, as I grew older, I can see that kind of fulfilled in an unexpected way because I... Well, A, my family has always been a part of my church. I've always had four generations of my family at my church, whatever church I was at. And then I would use them, even ancestral photos in my, in my messages. Even what we do in Connecting Guests at Eastside now, I, I, I have at least three moments where I'm talking about three family members or my kids showing their pictures and telling stories about them to draw and uh, uh, people towards connection, towards community, or towards God in some powerful way. And those photos and uh, your question uh, has actually made me connect the dots between that little kid who used to picture having a talk show, introducing people to his family, to a pastor who uses his family, and his family has been a part of just uh, being inclusive and being open-hearted and pointing people towards God. Wow. I, I love that image of everybody living on the same street because yeah I, I mentioned before we hit record I talked to someone earlier today that's an intuitive right and says hey I can talk to past lives and kind of a little little beyond my pay grade yeah <laughs> I don't I don't yeah. know if I can go that deep but you actually get to <laughs> you get to live on the same street with people that you're physically connected with two generations up um, that's cool because you get to understand from the great grandparents to the great, great, greats to the greats, mm -hmm. right. All the way down what was intended to be passed down through that historical timeline. I think a lot of us in today's day and age, we're kind of redoing it all every, every time, right. You have kids and then they go off and do it their own way. And yeah. right, what I'm getting at is that that's awesome. I think we need, I've learned recently by being part of this organization called Board of Advisors, that most generations don't pass things down. And I'm talking about investments and things like that, but personal beliefs, belief in God, all of it, they, it doesn't go down to the third generation down. Yeah, and my kids have had the blessing of growing up with most of their great-grandparents. So they knew uh, their great-grandparents and the stories that my family has passed down, even for the ones that died just when I was born that came from Europe. I mean, I know their stories. So, so my kids know the stories and can name them by name, uh, their great-great-great-grandparents, all the way back to the immigrants that came here and what their stories were and what brought them here. Yeah, that's neat to have that level of connection. Yeah. Um, so if you were to 
relate that to what you're doing now. You kind of touched on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you learn then that, you know, that you find like when you were passionate about doing that talk show, what, what kind of comes through to what you're doing today? How, how would you learn from that? Well, I, 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 I am more convinced at this stage in my life more than ever that people, you, you know, when the scripture says that God placed the lonely in families, that community is what we were, that's the environment. If, if a fish is supposed to be in water, human beings are supposed to be in community. Mm. And uh, that's what we were made for. And I found, I didn't know because it was like water to me that my family life, which was a sweet family life, was not the kind of home that most people lived in and the kind of friendships that um, I was able to be surrounded by in healthy churches. I've been in healthy churches all my life and that most people didn't even have that experience. And so um, my passion has become that this is our inheritance. This is our our legacy, as you used that word earlier, mm-hmm. is to be able to um, to be family for other people, to offer community, to build relationships, over a period of time to create some history, have a common mission, and then go through some garbage together, go through some trial together to cement this, you know, um, and that's, that's my passion is to help uh, people connect to that. There's a guy named Stan who was in Sarasota last week, and he's been kind of a interim dad for several families because his family is like yours. He, you know, husband, wife, daughters, amazing kids. But some of the daughter's friends didn't have a dad at home and in the family. And so his point was, that's the biggest thing that's eroding in the American society is single family homes. So it's our responsibility as a dad to actually take on that role with with other people. So if we recognize that, and I think to your point in a church community, too, um, but we need to be proactive about listening for that. So his goal is to influence a million people. And, and he's got a good head start on that. So I, I think you're right. And, and growing up, my family uh, found a kid that was, it, it was in the foster system that was bused to our church and they ended up adopting him and he became my brother. And we're, uh, we're, I, I mean, like this, he's my brother in every, every sense of the word. And uh, so they, they took uh, people in who really literally did not have family but also our holidays were filled with single parents as well with their kids. So like we didn't go around the single parent, we included the single parent. They, so we became extended family and resources for them. And that's what I think is really important, not, not whisking away or doing it for them, but including them and giving them, uh, giving even the single parent uh, an extended family and a little bit of support. I love that. So I mean, it sounds like you're very happy now. Everything's great. Uh, what I when I talk on this podcast, there's always something that we face that's like the biggest, you know, roadblock in our life. Is there something you're comfortable sharing uh, with our listeners that you know that was the gut punch for you? That was like, oh, it was so bad at the time, yeah. but now I'm better for it. What's that yeah. for you? Well, in 1995. Um, this was the this was the biggest gut punch of my life is that I became the lead pastor of our church that I think I mentioned to you earlier in private conversation. And that uh, literally months after that, my wife shared with me that she was leaving me. And it was like, what? Do, do we even have serious problems? I just didn't know that. But she was determined to leave. 
And uh, it, it was about a, a year and a half before that issue. I mean, we had everything but, uh, but the ink on the divorce papers. And our elders at our church just surrounded us. They, they, the church at large, believe it or not, did not know what was going on. But I felt like those elders and their wives, they fell on us like Vietnam vets would fall on a grenade and they took the impact. Mm. And they walked us through that. And uh, fortunately, you know, a, a few years later, we began to share with the congregation that I, we had two marriages, our first marriage and our second marriage. And here's what had happened. And here's how we got through it. But um, it, it definitely was the, the, the big and most transforming challenge of our lives is to, we had two kids from our first marriage and we have another one from our second marriage. Oh, that's <laughs> so, cool. What a neat story, yeah. man. I love that. Yeah. Everybody has challenges. And, you know, <laughs> if, if you're not admitting it, you're probably making stuff up. <laughs> so, yeah, for um, sure. You know, and, and there's, <clears throat> I, you can see how life happens and can gradually pull the roads apart. So it's yeah. upon us, it's upon us to say, all right, let's roll up our sleeves and get to the bottom of this. And to your point that yeah. to have the support is the important part of that equation. Yes. And that I fortunately did. Yes. Um, so in your day to day now, you've obviously, you, you know, you made it through that in 95. That was the year I graduated college. Uh, so you made it through the, those days. Um, what are you passionate about now in what you're doing today? Well, I would say that um, what I'm passionate about is connecting de-church people to Jesus. That's what I'm, I'm passionate about. I, I know when I was, um, and you may relate to this from your time in Orange County, but I, uh, in Anaheim Hills, Yorba Linda, where my church was, is we um, were serving a not an unchurched community and not a church community. We were about three-fourths of the people were what I call de-churched. Now, I think over time, more and more people are becoming unchurched, you know, because a de-churched generation raises an unchurched one, right? Mm. But I feel that, that uh, there's still a little bit of this left where there are people who have experienced church in some way Maybe it could have been just that their grandmother uh, signed them up for vacation Bible school or used to bring them to church, and maybe they made a decision or raised a hand or something or prayed a prayer, or they did grow up in church for a while, and they were e they either wandered away from it when they went to college or beyond, or they were driven away from it through a bad experience. And my passion is that there are so many people um, that are in this de-church category, even, in, and, and I almost include unchurched people who have been culturally de-churched through education, through stories, through the media storytelling, that there, uh, there is nothing more beautiful than a spiritual community that you're a part of that, that is fully functioning and, and, and works right. And, 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 and there, there, there are, are a ton of them. And so we've got to just guard the health of those things and, and move into that. And, and my passion is just helping, especially with guests, since so many are from a de-church perspective. I would say roughly uh, uh, right now, it's about a third, a third, a third, that the, the guests who come to our church, roughly about a third are churched, a third are de-church, and a third have absolutely no church experience at all, even coming from another religious paradigm altogether. And my passion is just to connect them to Jesus mm -hmm. and community. Have you seen the show The Chosen? Oh, 
<laughs> my family members were here, they would just scream right now because I, I just watch it and rewatch it. I love that show. Love it. My favorite part reminds me of what you're talking about right now. And it's the opening credits when the gray fish are swimming around in the circle. And then all of a sudden there's a blue one. Yeah. And then the blue one, the, the first blue flipper when, yes. when it flips is yes. the one that gets me most excited. Cause I'm like, okay, one to one, right. It's like, all you got to do is one at a time. It's like purpose. We, we went to, um, now that you mention it, we went to Purpose Driven Life, uh, whatever that church was called down there in Southern California. Uh, the, um, the big oh, mega uh, church. Saddleback. Saddleback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I remember his whole mission, one more for Jesus, one more for Jesus. And, yeah. and it just one at a time. And, yeah. you know, and when you see, and then finally at the end, when it gets to 13, I always wondered what's the number. So we kept trying to pause it. Yeah, and, it was 13. It's 13 and, and the 12. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So my whole new mission on my second half of life is turn gray fish blue. Uh, oh, I love that. <laughs> right? That's such a beautiful visual. I like it. It's just, yeah, it's it's easy to yeah. connect with. And so yeah, I've never felt like a calling to be a pastor. And I don't think that's where I'll end up. But uh, wherever God leads me for the second half, I'm ready. You know, I've got all these skills Absolutely. to generate prospects and do pipeline development. I'm like, oh, so it's really the fishers of men conversation yeah. is where I'm being pulled. So it's kind of yeah. interesting. So on that topic, um, what were the questions that you asked yourself that helped you discover that this is the role for you. Like there's some people that are probably living a little, maybe they're one degree off of the perfect job or maybe they're 180 degrees. How do you get to the perfect spot? <sighs> okay, this is put on your slicker because here it comes. <laughs> um, when we decided we were merging the churches, uh, you know, that can be a, a, a delicate move. Mm. You know, it really can. It was a great move for us because even now, nine years later, 84% of my church is still here. And the ones that aren't kind of moved away and retired out of state and come back and visit, you know, I mean, it, there was literally all but two people came and the two people were already moving out of state. It was such a successful merge, wow. but I was, I was not taking that for granted. And so as it was all getting ready to take place, I was meeting with Gene Apple, our, our, our lead pastor, who's an old friend of mine. He was an intern at Eastside when I was a senior in high school and lived in our home for a time. Oh, like everybody that's, else, right? That's wild, yeah. So when he came back to Eastside after the previous uh, senior pastor retired, it was just such a neat homecoming. But anyway, we were having lunch every week and he asked me a question. He goes, Greg, what do you want to do on our staff? And I'd been so focused on our church doing well in this merge that I hadn't even given it hardly any thought. And, um, and I just told him, I said, in all honesty, I've been doing whatever it takes for a while now that I don't even know the answer to that question. So could you give me this week, because we were meeting weekly for lunch, give me some time. I'm going to pray about that and bring back something next week. So I got away at the beach like I do. And I, 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 I took a journal and started writing things. And I, I got to credit the Holy Spirit for this because Greg is not this smart. There were two questions that emerged in my mind that I, I think everybody ought to ask themselves when they want clarity on, a, on, a, on an issue like this. The first was, what am I doing when I see God-sized results and not Greg-sized results? Yeah. And the second was, what am I doing when I feel energy flowing through me instead of being taken from me? 
Wow. In other words, what am I doing when I feel more energized when it's done than I did before I started it? Mm-hmm. And I just bullet pointed on a Word doc. It went, it was two thirds of one page and I included everything. I didn't limit it to classic ministry. Travel was on that list. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there was just everything. And I, it was a brain dump. So I printed it out and I slid it to Gene the following week. And he looked at it. And this is so Gene in his leadership style. He read it and he slid it back. And he said, then this is your job. And they create, they, they had not planned on hiring a director of assimilation or, or guest engagement director or any of that kind of stuff. They made up the position for me. They, they didn't have anybody in a role like this at all on the staff at Eastside. So they created it for me. And I walked into it and I have been on all six cylinders ever since. They gave me a blank slate, which was scary, but exhilarating. And I, uh, I put together um, an engagement pathway. And by the end of the first year, as we began to move into that explosive growth season um, that led to us, I think I mentioned earlier, to becoming the second fastest growing church in the country for a season that um, by the end of that first year, we had about 2,000 guests identify themselves that year. And out of those 2,000, one out of four got in a small group. One out of seven became a volunteer. One out of 14 crossed uh, a border and went on a compassion trip to someplace wow. in another country. And I, I, I don't know how those numbers compare, but they sound like they're way better than the average. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the average is one out of 19. Wow. In, in churches that they just get connected and stay. Yeah. Uh, but one out of 20 became a leader. But the coolest thing is one out of three of them got baptized. Wow. Yeah. I love the piece and, and nobody of travel because I love to travel yeah. too. And that's like at the top of my list. I just got back from Sarasota and Orlando. I was in Telluride last week. And I just something about being in a hotel with the 65 degree temperature and just, you know, experiencing life and meeting people that you wouldn't have otherwise met. Um, it's just it's an important part of the of the role. Well, how that dovetailed into this is that um, because my church, the one that I pastored, the Daughter Church of Eastside, I mean, we, we started about 200 churches in seven different countries. And so I was always traveling in this mode. Well, those churches now became nourished by Eastside and this new bigger entity when we combined our forces, which was wonderful. But what happened is once the word got out about our growth, they basically, our phone started ringing off the hook, which was Gene, how did you get him there? And Greg, how do you keep him there? And so I, the website you mentioned earlier, gregcurtis-assimilation.com uh, is called, I, I formed something called Climbing the Assimilayas with the idea that we, everybody thinks their church is the friendliest place, but what it really is, is it means that they're friendly to each other. And that, <laughs> and that a guest, that it's, it's not a coast for a guest to connect. It's always a climb. And every guest needs a Sherpa to kind of lead them to that summit of full connection with God and community, right? So I, I talk about uh, being Sherpas to, to n- navigate that trail and help people reach that summit of full connection. And what, what started happening with our phone going off the hook is I, I had to form a website where I would post all of our learnings. And then in traveling, I literally, I, I was going to churches all around the mm-hmm. world, seven different, uh, at least seven different countries, five continents. I was meeting with churches as small as 30 and as big as 22,000. And I had to ask myself, what is the, what are the principles that are affecting guest engagement that exist regardless of scale or culture? Mm. 
And that's when I came up with uh, an engagement pathway that is, is on my website and has a free checklist to pick up. I have a video course as well that helps churches uh, bring their staff or their key leaders through the building of this and customizing it for their, for their church. And then I've been invited to, I do these two-day base camps at churches literally around, uh, around the world, but mostly in the States, where I just help people form that guest engagement pathway. But it's resulted in, in my big passion, which is I want to help churches worldwide have the have it goes back to being a six-year-old greg yeah wanting to invite people into his home and his family because we had a sweet thing i just want the arms that every church is basically like the home i grew up in and has the biggest arms and knows how to connect people with with god through community because some people get connect in community before they connect to god sure well what's interesting living a better story is really generated out of a mindset concept. And so, you know, the, my partner, Robert White graduated 1.3 million people. He's an early founder of human transformation movement. Well, he's always been a Christian, but he never really allowed that to come into the classroom for mindset Mm. transformation. Mm -hmm. So my job from God over the last two years has been hey, how do we put the two together? Because you've got to go deep and understand the story you're telling yourself, you know, tell the truth about your, like everything Robert's done for three decades is awesome. He helped John Denver write some songs. Wow, wow. Like an amazing transformation artist. <laughs> and, and so bringing, so we can learn from your onboarding package because we, we don't have Christianity on the label of living a better story, but yeah. it's certainly under the, under the hood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so for sure. I think we can cast a very wide net with the way that we're bringing people in and getting people uh, assimilated through the assimilators. So I love yeah. it. Um, let's see, time perspective. I want to ask you one more question. And it's, it's probably obvious you're in the church, you've been a pastor, uh, you work for the church. And that is ro- what role does faith play in your journey? And I'll be curious of, of how that rings for you. Well, gosh, obviously it's everything, but I would say that if I was to say in the first half of my life, what was the most transforming faith dynamic or principle? It was moving from the performance plan. I was big on earning it and going to the surrender plan, just death, burial, and resurrection. The whole season with my marriage cemented that. That was a big takeaway. Hmm. But since that time, the role that faith has played is not just a personal faith in God, but Jesus said to seek one thing first. And it's always surprising. I And I think foreign to people, especially in the States, because we're part of a democracy, but he said to seek, seek first, first his kingdom, kingdom of God, yeah. which means his reign, his order. And, and that all the things, then he promised that all the things you worry about will, will take care of themselves if you're seeking first this the 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 expansion of his influence the reconnecting of the world the re if the problem is that the world is disconnected from its creator then the solution is to reconnect it and that's what the reconnected to the order the design the energy the life force Mm. that is god in his creation and uh, you know ever since our our uh you know i feel like if i was to not charge my iphone uh not have it uh, connected to the charger, you know, in 24 hours or so, it would be dead. And if I didn't charge it for a year or more, it would have real problems, you know, iOS updates and things, you know, it just wouldn't function yeah. right. 
Yeah. And our world has been like that. It's, I think everything from the environmental issues, the natural disasters, the uh, geopolitical issues, what's happened with us as people, our bodies, our DNA, everything is broken because it's disconnected from the life force and the energy source that it was meant to run on. And so it's just been like this for a long time. And the solution is to reconnect it and to the design, the order, the energy, the life that was meant to sustain it. And that's seeking first, that's what Jesus came to bring us. And, and that's what we're to seek first. And it's, it's worth spending a life on. And that's, uh, that's how my faith kind of plays into my journey, especially in the second half of life. I, I love it. We had a guest on who's the founder of On Purpose. And his web, he's got an app called onpurpose.me. And mm -hmm. I encourage you to take it. I might've paid five bucks or maybe it was free. I don't remember, but it, it puts these phrases up against each other to come up with what your personal mission is in life. And mine, by the time it got after 10 minutes of back and forth, it was two words. And it's exactly what you just said you went through embracing grace. Mm. And it's, mm -hmm. it's not embrace grace. It's embracing, meaning it's an ongoing thing to embrace grace, right? You're working yeah. on it. And, yep. and so I really do feel like that is the message that I like to deliver is, hey, you were already created. You can breathe. You've got eyes. You can see. You can walk. You can touch, touch taste. Like you're already a miracle. Start from that. Yeah. And then figure out what God wants you to be doing with that. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to work towards it. You just have well, to. Well, and that's another it. thing that we that we teach our guests, Chad, is we talk about Rick Warren's shape, you know, the, the shape acronym S spiritual gift, H heart, passion, A abilities, P personality, and E experiences. And you'll be familiar with that principle that what God has shaped you to be points to what God has called you to do. Uh, and so most people are looking up to find what God wants. For their lives, you know, and, and I challenge people to look in because yeah. we're always looking at God, what do you want me to do? And he's kind of saying, look at how I made you. Cause I wouldn't have made you a pot to cook food, food. And if what I needed was a dish to serve food on. So literally, if you look how he's made you in terms of those yeah. five things yeah, that points you towards how he wants to use you. And so look in and just see what those things are, because he's got, uh, he, he, you are perfectly shaped for what he wants you to do for what he's called you to do. Perfect. Right. So That's look at your shape. That's right. Well, look, if anyone's in Southern California, they're looking for a place to assimilate and meet people that are amazing. Um, hey, be careful because you may go in and you'll be part of the church and you'll have to be a volunteer because once Greg gets through talking <laughs> with you, you're going to convert uh, to, to help right. the church and the kingdom. But yeah. no, really, he'll help you discover your pathway and to your gifts. And, and I really think that, uh, I, hey, I need to come visit sometime here in the near future. Would love that. You got to let me know so we can give you the royal treatment. And have lunch. I think we, we yeah we need to make a trip soon. We're we're empty nesters in two days, so uh, it'll be time to travel a little bit. You don't look old enough to be that. Yeah, nineteen and an eighteen we've got. So life time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Greg. Uh, Greg Curtis website greg curtis dash assimilation or eastside.com and really fabulous getting to know you today greg thanks for sharing your testimony you know even even senior pastors can have a gut punch of uh, of a marriage that's about to go south and you know surrounding yourself with with people that are of god and for god and 
And that's, you know, we, we all go through it. We're all human. So, you know, look in the mirror, realize you're not alone. Everybody does it. And, um, mm-hmm. and just pray about it, right? Connect. And uh, we did just launch this app, 77pray.com, which came out two weeks ago. We have 65 subscribers on it already. So all right, exciting. I got to check it out. Check that out. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining. We'll catch you on the next Living a Better Story podcast. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.